You are listening to a sermon from Emmaus Church LCMS. For more information, please go to www.emmauspasco.org. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. I invite you to be seated. Why did Jesus come to Jerusalem? The crowds that come to meet him with palms and hosannas, they have a clear answer. They're giving a clear answer to that question. Why did he come? He's here to deliver us. He's the liberator. He's here to be king of Judea. How do we know this? Palm branches are a national symbol for the people of Israel in the ancient world. They're like a flag. They're the flag that was brought into the Temple Mount by the Maccabees when they had liberated Israel a few hundred, a hundred years earlier from the, the, the Greek oppressors. A little while later, after this story that we study today, the Bar Kokhba revolts would see the Jews rise up against their Roman oppressors, and once again, they would pick up palms. Their palms make it clear, their hosannas make it clear that they know why Jesus is coming. He's come to be their liberator king. They are calling him their George Washington and singing, here comes the general. Their palms and their hosannas say that Christ has come to throw out the foreign tyrant Caesar and his puppet king Herod. Now, where do they get this confidence? Why do they think this guy from Galilee is going to do this? Well, John tells us. John tells us that some people who were with him when he raised Lazarus saw it and then went and bore witness about it. They went ahead to the city, told some people, hey, some guy who raised a dude from the dead is coming, and he's the Messiah. And people were like, okay, if he can raise the dead, he can probably conquer Rome. So they go out and they greet him, welcoming him to the city of David, to his city, to be crowned king, to renew David's kingdom and David's throne. That's why Jesus came to Jerusalem, they say. Now, I don't know about you guys, um, but growing up, this Sunday of the church year was always Palm Sunday, and just Palm Sunday. And lots of churches still observe it as only Palm Sunday. But in the mid-20th century, uh, the, the people who, who actually overhauled the lectionary, the schedule of readings, into, turned it into three years, they, they had to, to deal with something. They tried to make a correction, which is that while traditionally this is Palm Sunday, there was a problem. If you only come to church on Sunday, you go directly from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday. And that leaves out some important details, doesn't it? But more than that, more than that, so, so what they did is they, they came up with a, a tradition called Passion Sunday. Palm Sunday and Passion Sunday. And that is actually the, the thing we're doing right now. It's why I'm wearing red, and we have red on our altar, rather than white, the color of victory. Red, the color of blood. Because the day will soon, after I'm done with this meditation, it will shift dramatically from a day of triumph to a sustained meditation on Jesus' passion, on why he came to Jerusalem, really. Now, the reason for this, I think, is more than just practical. There's actually, in the text of John's Gospel, if you're listening for it, there's a deep thread of irony behind the whole celebration such that people who think about liturgy think it's probably not the best idea to have all our people waving palms and saying Hosanna as though that were the right thing to be doing. As though that action itself weren't 
problematic and ironic deeply in what it misunderstood about Jesus. Because there's a, there's a deep scriptural irony running through John's account. And you can see this because John says, the disciples didn't understand this at the time, as they are wont to, but after Jesus' glorification, then they looked back and then they saw it. Then they saw what was wrong. Then they saw the irony. Then they saw why Jesus really came to Jerusalem and just how wrong the people were. Because Jesus does, in this text, give his own answer to why he's there. He gets on a donkey. This is not just an expedient. This is a statement. It is a parable. It is a word in action form. He is saying something about himself. Generals don't ride in on donkeys. And the donkey is a yes and a no. It is a yes to some of their words, that he is the king. A yes to their cry for salvation, save us now, Hosanna. But it is a no to just about everything that they mean by that. It's a no, because a donkey is an animal ridden not only in, it doesn't make a very good war horse, it is ridden in peace and weakness and humility, and more than that, it is the steed for the king who has come to be an end of all war horses. That's what the Zechariah middle of our passage says. Zechariah 9, there's a prophecy. Now, anything you have to recognize about prophecies in the Old Testament. They would often grab some words and cite them. John, John as the gospel author, will cite them. But just like I can do this, I can say, uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident. And you know what I'm saying, right? You know what follows. They can do the same thing with the Old Testament. So when he says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. John knows you're going to keep going with this passage. He knows that you, because you know your Old Testament, right? You're going to keep going and you're going to see what Jesus is saying, because that passage from Zechariah goes on. It says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow will be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. My rule is from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. This Messiah, this king, is riding a donkey because he does not plan to merely be the king of Judea. He does not plan simply to drive out the Romans. He plans to bring an end to all war, to bring an end to all war horses. He plans to liberate Israel by liberating them from death. And through them, to liberate the whole world, the whole world, from the ends of the earth, Zechariah says, from sea to sea. This humble king has not come to shed the blood of God's enemies, but to shed his own blood for the sake of God's enemies, for a new covenant, Zechariah says. He's come to bring peace, he's come to be the king of the world, and he's come to do it through shedding his own blood to make a new covenant that frees all people. So why does Jesus come to Jerusalem? To be your king. To be you, American Gentiles, king 2,000 years later. To be the king of every son of Adam and daughter of Eve, to be the king whom all, for whom all death had made us captives, to be our king. He came to not just vanquish the Romans, but to vanquish sin and death and hell and liberate us all from that which captured us. 
He came not to be served by Israel's priests and religious elite, but to be betrayed and murdered by them. He came not to be served and heralded as king of kings, but to serve and give his life as a son of man, as a ransom for many. He came to Jerusalem so that every tribe and race and language and tongue would gather there and say with the soldier who stood at the foot of his cross, truly this man was the son of God. And that's why our text ends on an ominous note from the Pharisees. We can't celebrate Palm Sunday as though it were a joyful occasion. Because it's the moment the Pharisees see that they only have one option left. The whole world is going after him, they say. They know now there's no turning this revolution to their own ends. They cannot use it. They now must break it. And that is what they do. They begin to scheme. They look for a way to arrest and murder him secretly. They set up traps for him. They oppose him publicly in the temple. They bribe one of his disciples to betray him at night. And they arrest him secretly when he's away from the crowds who might have come to his aid. They drag him before a kangaroo court of chief priests who are unwilling to even listen to what he has to say. They seek false testimony against him. They ask him directly whether he is the Messiah. And when he answers yes in no uncertain terms, they reject it out of hand. You cannot be the Messiah. Blasphemy. They refuse him as the kind of king he insists on being. They refuse him as the Messiah that he is, and they condemn him to death for blasphemy and send him away, handing him over to Pilate. This has been a message from Emmaus Church LCMS. We thank you for listening and invite you to find out more by visiting our website at www.emmauspasco.org. That's www.emmauspasco.org. Thank you.